Thanks for downloading the UCD Humanities Institute podcast. This podcast series features recordings of lectures, seminars and events hosted by or associated with the University College Dublin Humanities Institute. For more information, go to www.ucd.ie forward slash humanities. In this episode, a recording from the Irish Sea Symposium, which took place at the National Maritime Museum of Ireland on September 19th and 20th, 2014. This symposium, the Irish Sea, History, Culture, Environment, was supported by the UCD Humanities Institute, the UCD Earth Institute, the Atlantic Archipelago's Research Consortium and the National Maritime Museum of Ireland. This podcast features the final session from the symposium in which chairpersons reported back from three workshop sessions which looked at possibilities for future research. The workshop sessions were chaired by John Brannigan, Tasman Crow, and David Snook, whose voice will be the first you hear. This is really a stream of consciousness. Uh, this is some of the points I listed. Um, what was the question? Let's go back to the question first. The question was... Uh, this is the Heritage Group. Uh, on the Irish Sea, what value uh, is there? What, how does it contribute to our lives? On the values, what are the threats? What could enhance it? And what could we in Heritage offer in our understanding of the sea? Now, what we came about with to, for improving our understanding is the library here, use it more. Uh, we're talking not just about we're not just talking about Ireland or the East Coast. We're talking about the four nations surrounding it. Uh, need to think about the coastal community identity, and this really focuses on its local history. Local history. Local history. Uh, we're talking about trade across the Irish Sea, shipbuilding, uh, informing and educating. Uh, in schools as well, should be on the curriculum. It's not at the moment, certainly in secondary schools, but there are opportunities there, say in primary schools and with, say, undergraduates or graduates. Um, Don't think of being insulated. It's not an Irish-only view. Uh, Perceptions of outsiders are important. and whatever you do, you've got to make the, the whatever information you pass on has got to be attractive. We're after young, younger people to interest, so whatever you do, it's got to be attractive and grab them. Uh, museums need to change, to re- change what they've got, so that people come back for a second time. Mix in them with seafarers. That's how I. This mixture there of what people think inside. There's a people inland think differently to people on the coast. Uh, I think that's enough for the stream of consciousness. It now needs shaping. If I've missed it, if I've missed anything, tell me. Did I? Is well to to connect with them and ask them what they think about the Irish Sea. You could do a survey or a kind of a a project. Like I said, the project around memories of leaving Dunleary or to some way to kind of engage them, but you're going to get a lot of information and you could have an interactive event, an event for the community, and then you get some traction that way. The word again here is engagement. That's why, that's why. Engagement came in, engage with the community, um, bring young people in. Sea Scouts was one suggestion. Internet was another suggestion, but possibly local 
internet involvement rather than global. Uh, schools again, uh, communications with primary schools because at the, at the moment it seems that secondary schools are a bit, a bit closed because it's, maritime studies are not on the curriculum. Um, yeah, things like blogs. Um, down again, heritage is local. Uh, that's what we got out of the second section. No, is, did I, well, queries, do I leave anything out? Okay, that'll, that'll do for me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, could, I, could I ask John Brannigan now to come up and deliver the outcome of his deliberations, please? Uh, okay, so um, first of all, we had the humanities uh, group, and we were thinking about um, values, uh, what values do you associate with the sea, and um, also what conditions underpin uh, those values. So um, first of all, we were thinking about, um, we, we began to write in red, and then I began to write in black, where we were questioning the very terms of the question, okay? So we have a number of, and this humanities thing to do, okay? And this is what we bring to the party. Um, so we had a number of things that we would associate uh, as values uh, of the sea, and specifically the Irish Sea. First of all, uh, the picturesque, you know, we, scenery, we like to look at it, it's, it's aesthetic value, um, it's value in terms of defining identity and giving us a sense of heritage and history. The idea that the sea is a common resource, or a kind of commons, in the way that we no longer have, really, in relation to the, to the land. Um, and that um, it's a space of communication, it's a space of transport, of trade, of exchange of languages, and so on. Um, also, the, the, the idea, which is also a kind of problem for how we think about value, is that it has a kind of multiplicity of imaginative meanings and a mul multiplicity of, of different kinds of uses, if you like. Very importantly, the sea is a space of reflection, so we're beginning to get into thinking about the sea as having a sort of spiritual uh, significance and value. Also thinking about the, the sea as a space of, of uh, migration, that you have a sense of where you come from in relation to the sea. Um, fish, uh, one of our contributors simply said, I like fish, um, <laughs> and that's a valuable thing, okay? <laughs> But also the, the question, questioning all the terms uh, of the question. In other words, who is it who's saying we, right? Who are we uh, when we ask what do we value about the, about the Irish Sea? Um, the sea is, as a space of kind of resistance to human value and human meaning uh, in itself as a kind of, you know, wilderness, an existential wilderness, if we even had it called, right? So to what extent is that something we can think about in relation to, uh, to sea spaces and so on? that it's also a transnational, and, uh, and I think that came up in some of the discussions that we had during the course of, of today. Um, David has talked about this in his book, about a history without nations around the Irish Sea. Jim, very reluctant to use the word nation. So what is it that appeals to us about studying the sea as um, a, a, a transnational space, as, a, as something that goes beyond nations? So I suppose the answer from the humanities was both that the, the, there were a set of values that we would associate with the, with the sea, but also that the humanities also had a role in terms of questioning um, what value meant and what concept of value lies behind uh, the very question, right? And so these were the things that we thought we would add in particular um, from the humanities, that the humanities were very good at temporal scales uh, of culture and value, of actually going back centuries and, and asking, you know, how the sea has been used in different ways and valued in different ways. 
um, that the other thing that humanities are very good at is contextualizing and introducing the sort of social and cultural and political contexts behind our uses of the sea, uh, concepts and questions of value uh, in context, uh, addressing the sea as, as a zone of contestation, so not just as a sort of image of, of sort of harmony, if you like, but as a zone of contestation in terms of wars, in terms of competing values, uh, in terms of competing interests, and in terms of a space that's uh, about a conflict between the human and the non-human. Um, asking the very question, why does the sea matter, uh, is something that I think the humanities uh, group uh, would contribute to this. And also the basic kind of work that we do of interpretation and commentary and contextualization and, very importantly, complication. You'll have gathered that already, that we're here to complicate lives and ask difficult questions, right? Um, so the conditions, well, some of those we've, we've looked at already. Um, interdisciplinarity, I think humanities does tend to sort of look out to other disciplines and to borrow from other disciplines uh, as well. And I think this is a um, potentially cheeky comment picking up on some of the discussion we've already had that, you know, apparently humanities people have got imagination where scientists apparently don't. So um, we'll perhaps uh, we'll bring some imagination uh, to the party, I think. That's, that's, our, that's our use. Um, so then session two, when we're in our mixed groups, um, these are our kind of um, uh, projects that we thought we might be able to collaborate on. So one is the question of usability in ecosystem services, about how the sea is used, about how it's valued differently, and so on. Secondly, um, there might be new ways of exploring uh, ecosystems that come from collaboration. So if you like, already entering the sort of frame, we've had some very excellent explanations of what ecosystem services entail and all the various parts of it. But by collaborating, perhaps we can bring new ways of understanding what ecosystems mean and what the sort of cultural element in ecosystems mean and so on. And new ways of understanding, indeed, the sea by collaborating, because we get very different perspectives of the sea, as we've already seen today. Uh, learning from history and uh, learning how to evaluate our heritage. Uh, I think we've learned enormously today from the various different ways of, you know, either looking at fish stocks or looking at uh, seabed mapping or looking at maritime history and art uh, and poetry and culture and so on, uh, how we might do that. Um, assessing how we balance competing interests, and I think this comes back to uh, the question of ecosystem services and how we think about sort of you know, benefits and damages uh, of human communities in, in relation to uh, the sea. Uh, assessing the extent of intervention uh, about how human uh, communities have uh, intervened uh, in ecosystems as well. And then uh, I think this was really a key one, uh, raising awareness. And I think that chimes in with something that David has already reported from from his group, raising awareness of the nature and the histories uh, of sea and coastal zones. Uh, and then some of the mechanisms we thought about that, um, key there was educational resources, that, that issue about the curriculum, about schools, about engaging young people um, in, in maritime uh, history, in maritime ecology, in maritime consciousness generally, uh, was a key issue about how we do that through educational resources sustainable ecotourism of the sea and coastal zones. And there is a kind of relationship between this and the next point, which was again about raising awareness uh, of uh, the sea and the necessity of um, having a kind of tourism that would involve the sea, which would be sustainable, and which would also introduce, you know, to, to 
encourage people, really, how to value the sea through experiencing it, if you like. Um, that was a particular point also behind number three, which was ship time or sailor training, the, experience, the, the, the importance of getting people out to sea. Uh, I think that was particularly directed at policymakers, but I would extend it to other people uh, as well, the importance of getting out to sea. Uh, and a subset of that was understanding the sea as an organism, you know, understanding it organically and ecologically and so on as well. Fourth, I think this is particularly in relation to academic um, ways of, of developing and going forward, uh, that we need more case studies and we need more comparative studies. Uh, so that we need to understand more, I think, from the local scales of how heritage is understood and how ecology is understood and so on. We also need comparative studies so that we can put those into dialogue with each other and see the broader picture. Uh, for those educational purposes, we need to have a sort of model way of, of teaching collaboratively so that we're able to bring these perspectives together and show how they can be incorporated into uh, curriculum and, and so on. Website and promotion, again, that's picking up on a point from, from David's group as well, how we, you know, no point in doing any of this unless we're able to promote it and make people aware of it uh, more generally. And then creating maritime resources that can be added to the curriculum, so actually making it easier for teachers um, to incorporate maritime issues into the curriculum. I mean, the fact that they're not there doesn't mean that there aren't the mechanisms for doing that. There's, you know, uh, the Irish language could be used as a sort of, you know, curriculum to uh, and, and to add in maritime resources into that, history courses, literature courses, science courses, etc. So if we were able to develop uh, resources that would include the maritime and that that would be, that would be easily incorporated uh, into a curriculum, uh, that would be our way forward as well. That's it from me, and that's quite enough. Thank you. Uh, now, Tasman will deliver his words of wisdom. Not my words of wisdom, the words of wisdom of the group. Um, okay, so we, we had quite a far-ranging discussion, so I hope I managed to capture all of it in, in a not-too-jumbled an order. Um, so first of all, and what does the Irish Sea contribute to our lives? The first comment from an individual was everything, right? so that it meant that much so as a real central part of, of life. And when we started to break that down, we had a sort, the sort of uh, more provisioning, perhaps, kind of views in terms of energy as a, as a sort of uh, pathway for commerce and trade, uh, pr producing, producing fish and so on, um, recreation, as well as a very important uh, thing that the, the, the Irish Sea provides. And then perhaps more in ter terms of regulating type services as a place that you can, um, that, that provides cleaner air, we're getting air that's coming in over the sea rather than straight off the land. Um, in terms of the weather, so people felt that we benefit by having a sort of essentially a warmer maritime climate, it keeps us frost free, so those kind of practical considerations. Uh, as a useful place that we can seem to be able to get away with dumping waste, All right, so it, it's, it's, it's cleaning up the pollution that we, that we put into it, and ultimately driving uh, a higher level of health and well-being in, in a, through those kinds of pathways. Um, we thought about it as a, as a sort of haven for wildlife, 
So it, it, providing a home for wildlife. It's also influenced our fauna and flora and made it very distinctive by providing a barrier between sort of, sort of Ireland and, and Britain and, and the rest of Europe. We have a distinctive fauna. And it, in, in a sense, it, it protects us to some degree against invasive species, especially terrestrial invasive species, obviously not so much on the, from, from the marine point of view. We then talked more about the kind of cultural identity that comes with the Irish Sea, uh, the sense of being on an island, so that you're looking out to sea rather than looking across someone's border into another country, another terrestrial sort of landlocked country, um, a sense of independence. We've got our own sort of space. Um, the idea that there's a sort of wilderness there, something that's uh, sort of more forbidding and, and threatening in a, in a way, or that's truly wild. You look out to see, you get a sense of, of wilderness, a real sense of identity. Um, and it also as a linking, as a bridge that links us culturally and economically with, with Europe and, and the rest of the world. And there was, on the sort of negative, it was also felt that we perhaps don't identify enough with the Irish Sea. A lot of, a, a lot of Irish people, and especially perhaps you think of people living in Dublin, right there by the sea, don't really notice the sea as much as they should. And that, that's something we need to, to worry about. And there was the example was given that the port does now worry about that. The port is trying actively to engage with, the, with the, the, the wider Dublin community and bring people more to thinking about Dublin as a port city. Um, and we also had a sort of counterpoint to the health and well-being that the Irish Sea provides. We had the notion that it also is a source of danger and a cause of loss of life. So there are, there are counterpoints to these kind of benefits we always, we're looking at. So that was that kind of what does the Irish Sea contribute to our lives. Uh, in the second session, as to what conditions do we need to maintain in the Irish Sea for it to continue to provide those benefits? The discussion kind of wove around and spilled into the next kind of session in a way, but I'll try and pick out the points that, that relate to that first, and then we'll finish with the, the points that lead into the next session. So the, 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 the general, first of all, the sense was we need to maintain the ecosystem in the broadest sense. That's the base for all of those, all of those benefits. And, and the, the important thing is to maintain its functioning and that doesn't necessarily mean maintaining all of the species in it. So as long as the, the, the functioning of the system is maintained, there was, a, there was the idea that that, would, that that would underpin those services by and large. So in terms of the regulation, uh, bioturbation, production, nutrient cycling, and so on, those things. We talked a little bit about whether it, it's self-sustaining to some degree. You know, can we leave it and expect it to get on with doing things in the way that it always has? And uh, there was the general notion was, well, actually, we're doing damage to it. Our activities are causing problems. By and large, we do need to take some positive steps to maintain its functioning. But there are areas that are self-sustaining. So parts of Bull Island, for instance, as, a, as an ecosystem works well as, as it stands. In taking some more specific kind of things that we need to protect the Irish Sea against so that it continues to provide benefits, uh, dealing with pollution was one that we need to try and improve the way sewage is treated. There's still situations where sewage and, and barely treated sewage is finding its way directly into the Irish Sea. Um, so we need to sort of build and retain the adaptive capacity of the, of the coastline. And we need to continue to make sure that the fisheries are as sustainable as possible. So those sorts of, sorts of things. And the other, the other big one was preserving the seascape as much as we could. So the, the, it's the natural look of the seascape that helps to give a lot of those cultural and aesthetic benefits, the sense of wilderness and identity and so on. So that, those were, that was the other sort of tangible sort of thing that we should be looking to, to preserve. 
we then kind of, the, the debate moved a little bit more towards how we should be trying to do that. Um, and there was a strong sense that we need to make informed decisions. There needs to be more scientific studies, that, particularly that have a, a more local, region-specific focus so that we can actually make those kinds of decisions about which things are most likely to cause impacts that will change uh, the, the, the provision of services. Uh, and that needs to be done uh, in, a, in a more structured way. Um, so Birdwatch Island, for instance, is is collecting data that can be used to inform those decisions, and we need to kind of make use of that information and build on it. We then, as I said, another significant part of the discussion then was how we manage the activities. We need to develop proper frameworks for, for managing the activities so that they don't cause damage. Um, and we already, in that group, were, were recognizing that we need stakeholder involvement to try and do that. People need to buy in to the, to the process of managing the environment and conserving the environment for themselves. And that, that kind of led, leads quite nicely into one of the, the big themes uh, of, the, of the last discussion that we had, which so with, with the, new, the newly formed group with a, with a mixture of, of perspectives. And, and the first, you know, perhaps the kind of, we, we, I started out by outlining the, the, the session in terms of, you know, there are questions that we need to address in terms of these trade-offs and so on, how should we address them? And, the, and the, in a way, the, the, the discussion was turned on its head by saying, well, actually, we need to involve stakeholders initially in deciding which questions we should address, as well as in then deciding how to address them. So that's, that was a, a sort of true sort of change in the way that we think. We, we tend to go to the stakeholders, the, the wider community, and say, well, these are the questions we want to answer. How can you help us answer them? But we should really be engaging with them earlier in the process. And, and so we need a real framework. So as, as a research project, in a way, is how can we best engage uh, stakeholders, which is not a word that everybody likes, but so the, the wider public people that have a, have a concern for, for their environment, um, how do we best, best kind of establish that, that proper dialogue and, and, and take it into the, the process of even defining the research agenda? Um, and so, and so there was, a, there was a, real, a real push that we need to be drawing, as well as in, in asking the questions, we need to be drawing on local knowledge to help us resolve the questions that, that we might ask. So that there's a lot of local knowledge that's substantially ignored. We need to find ways to tap into it to help us find the best, the best answers as well as the best questions. Um, we also... Th there was a strong sense that, that, that the humanities could guide that process uh, in terms of identifying the different groups that we might engage with and identifying the kind of geographical variation in the way people feel about, might feel about the, the environment and how we should, uh, we should relate to it. And we, we recognize that, that in the past there's tended to be quite a strong top-down kind of view. The scientists come in with a, with a, with a view, if even, even in a collaborative project, the humanities voice and the voice of stakeholders and NGOs and so on tends to be a voice that gets overridden because the priorities are driven by, by the sort of research agenda and the policy agenda. And, and, and there needs to be some kind of way of, of having more truly transdisciplinary research, which involves all of those elements uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, a more inclusive and equal way. Right, so that was, that was kind of a strong push from the group. That, that wasn't the only way in which we, we, would, we had a, a different view on how questions should be addressed. So the other suggestion was that we, that we take an issue at a time and consider the different perspectives on that issue. So fishing, for instance, was, was, was proposed. And so the scientists 
would, would already have a view on valuing fisheries. You can measure the amount of money that's spent on fish, how, how much the stocks that are caught get sold for. But from a humanities perspective, can contribute more to understanding why the value is placed on the fish. So, you know, we, we don't just eat fish and chips because they're good for us, or fish because they're good for us. I guess you can't say fish and chips are good for us. But there's a cultural dimension there. You know, it's something that's part of our, our heritage is eating fish in that way. There's a religious dimension to the way in which we, we, we eat fish, and then that the humanities uh, can provide that perspective and help, help us better understand why things uh, are being valued. Um, there was also the, the other kind of specific example that came up towards the end was to do with, with wind farms. And again, there's a cultural side to that which is better understood perhaps through the humanities pathway than through the scientific pathway. So, you know, we, we, we can see the benefits of wind farms in terms of their uh, offsetting damage to climate change, but uh, the detrimental impacts are harder to assess and they relate to people's perception of the environment, that sense of wilderness and spirituality, or their, and their sense of identity with, with the place and so on. So th those things are more intangible, need a different perspective to try and get to grips with. The other, the other way in which um, it was felt that the, that the humanities could contribute to, to, to projects that, with scientists was in terms of communication. So it help scientists be better able to communicate their message in a way that it would mean something to people on the street rather than large facts and figures, 33 billion as the, as the value of a trillion as the value of, of global ecosystem services doesn't mean things to people necessarily on a, on a more local level, but the humanities perspective can help to translate that kind of concept into something that resonates with people, perhaps you know, through, through poetry and literature and art, as, as well as other ways of communicating. Um, conversely, from the humanities per per perception, it was noted that scientists spend a lot of time trying to predict how things are going to go in the future. And that's not something that's traditionally been done so much by the humanities, and that there may be something to learn in the other direction uh, in that regard. So can scientists help to, to create more predictive frameworks? And that was also something that was raised from the point of view of stakeholder in, in involvement. It's this, the idea that you, you ask people uh, where well, for, that you can look at it but both positively and negatively. So what, what's going to be the next big disaster that might strike and how, how can we prepare for it? So we, we try and sort of, that's one way of getting people to think about the environment. So floods, for example, galvanize a pretty strong societal reaction when there's damage to property and so on. That makes people stop and think about climate change through shock and fear. Um, but there's also another way of looking at, at, the, at the situation is to get groups of people together with, with stakeholders, NGOs, scientists, humanities, heritage perspectives, and ask what would people like the world to be like or their world to be like into the future, and how can we then work towards that? So to start in a different way and say, all right, well, we want to try and predict the future. What, what future would you like to imagine, and, and is there anything that we can do that, that will help us to, 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 to go there? That's another good way of getting people to engage and participate in a positive way. And so, and in fact, that was, that was flagged that there is already a project that's, that's seeking to do that called Livable Communities, which has a website, livablecommunities.com. So that, there, these, these approaches are, are out there, and so we need to kind of engage with them. I think that's all I, I want to say. I think that, that captures broadly what we, what, what we said in a, in a reasonable kind of, hopefully coherent way. I hope that... Uh,
Um, thank you very much. There's a lot of ideas here, and also there's a lot of work for the rapporteurs and the chairpersons to pull it all together. But I'm going to ask uh, John to come forward now just to take a few questions that people may wish to raise or any points they want to make in relation to what they heard so nothing was missed out. So I'm going to pass over to John now, and then I will wrap up. So this is just an opportunity for us to reflect on the three different groups that we've had, and if we want to add anything to that, if we want to uh, ask questions about that or, or contribute to a discussion. John, this is, this is perhaps not what you're, you're after, but on a purely practical note, would it be possible uh, for the team that you've put together to actually post this final material up on a blog, on a website? Because yeah. I think it's have it, the material having been captured, it's yeah. a huge amount to take in. We want to reflect on it, so it would be very good to have it accessible I think um, that, through that media. That's our plan, is that actually um, in the coming couple of weeks, uh, what we'll do as, as co-organisers is we'll put together all this information into a draft document that will reflect the discussion that we've had and identify the possible uh, outcomes and priorities and give some suggestion of mechanisms which we could use uh, to do those. And those will be you know, draft document that we will look for your uh, responses to and we'll see and, and you know, try and formalise from that what, what we can do, what might be the ones that will work. They might be dependent upon funding opportunities and, and so on, but, you know, these are the, the visionary sort of stuff that Taz was just talking about, you know. Where do we want to be with this collaboration and how do we get there? So we'll do that over the next, uh, next couple of weeks. Um, could I just suggest that um, the uh, Earth Institute um, might consider a greater liaison with local groups, such as the group here in the Maritime Museum. There's another group in the Joyce's Tower that are promoting that, which would span both the more scientific and literary background to this area, just as an initial thing. Uh, UCD is within Dunleary Rathdown uh, Council is. area and so on. Yep. Um, I'd also draw attention to the fact that the number of people that in UCD, there's also a very sizable overseas community now, which is in the yes. region of 5,000. Um, I understand that there's um, a thousand uh, Chinese that are due to come here as part of a liaison set up for degree programs between UCD and China, mm. and that there would be scope perhaps for consideration of having uh, an arrangement of a visit perhaps at the weekends, people in the voluntary sector that we would take in just this area as a starter. And and maybe moving, extending into Trinity, and that these people, again, from a tourism angle, as well as on the more scientific side of it, you know, they have families overseas, they have friends overseas, mm. they're sending photographs home on the internet and all of that. Mm. And perhaps, again, coming back to the suggestion about uh, putting it all together and perhaps a yes. list of web links. There was some very interesting stuff that was displayed on a rolling basis there yep. on the screen and that. So just a little bit more interaction and outreach with the community yep. and that people might consider in the voluntary groups, be it the Borough Historical Society, of signing up to the email notifications from the Earth Institute and things like that. So yep. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, I mean, we'll try and follow up on, on several of those suggestions. Um, I mean, the first thing to be said is that all of what you've heard today, more or less, apart from when we broke up into groups, uh, and the lecture last night will be, uh, has been podcast, has been recorded uh, by Mike over there. So thank you very much, Mike. And also an opportunity to say thank you to Dara for all the sound, which you can hear now. Um, so uh, that's all been podcast and it will go up onto the website and it will be available for you to listen to and to download and so on. It also means you can 
click on it and send it to somebody, whoever you want, and you can spread the word. Uh, and I think it's, it's key. I think one very strong thing to come out from today is the, the necessity of, of local interaction, interdisciplinarity, but also interlocal uh, interaction, if you like. And that's something we look into as well as to how we develop that. And it's a key thing, I think, in terms of the educational ambitions, uh, is that we do actually involve as many people as possible and spread the word as, as far as possible. So that's going to be key. Yeah, thank you. Any other questions or comments or? Okay, well given, it, I will be emailing all of you and we'll try and gather, uh, when you've recovered uh, from today, we'll try and gather uh, a few more uh, thoughts. Uh, I'll just wrap up with a few uh, thank yous and then I'll hand over to, to Richard. Uh, first of all, um, Thank you to this place. Thank you to the Maritime Museum. They were incredibly receptive, encouraging, and welcoming uh, to us right from the moment we came with this idea, we came with the idea of collaboration. The volunteers have been absolutely fantastic. Uh, I don't think I've ever had or run a conference uh, for which I've had so many uh, wonderfully uh, helpful uh, and organized and efficient people. And uh, you know, running all of that has been the man standing to my left, Richard. So can you please thank Richard, and through Richard also, thank the museum. I want to also thank, and you'll be used to it now, the UCD Earth Institute, the UCD Humanities Institute, and the Atlantic Archipelago's Research Consortium. Uh, this has been a, a collaboration between the various um, uh, bodies and an interdisciplinary collaboration. Uh, you can tell that there's a huge amount of goodwill uh, within UCD and beyond it and the Atlantic Archipelago's network for developing something uh, beyond this and using it as a sort of case study and a model from which we can uh, go on and, and learn as well. So I'd like to, to uh, thank all of our sponsors for that too. Now, I'd like to thank in particular the speakers today because I've done a very naughty thing uh, I've invited lots of extremely distinguished and knowledgeable uh, people and then very cruelly told them that they only have 15 minutes each. I do think this, and you've, you've, heard, you've seen this in action, that actually everybody could stand up here who's been here today and entertain us for 45 and 50 minutes and longer if we allowed them, right? And I think we've, uh, we, we owe them uh, a deep debt of gratitude, not just for standing up here, but also for managing to contain themselves to the time that we allotted. Uh, so thank you very much to all of our speakers. <laughs>